I'm not sure if we ever explained why we put this rock wall behind us for the 9.30 service. Most of you probably know, but in case you're wondering, we uh, filmed this service so that we can air it for the Channel 11 um, TV show next week. It's always one week behind. And we have a massively glare, glary drum cage. All the windows, like you guys were showing up, but not in your beautiful forms, like just distorted shapes moving around and... Kind of distracting. Oh, that's going to be a problem. I need to not move too much. My shirt's going to... Okay, we're, we're going to figure this out. Anyway, so we, we spent like six months trying different things. We dimmed these doors to reduce the glare, and nothing was working. And so finally we thought, let's just block it <laughs> completely. <laughs> so that's why we... And the other reason is if I get asked by my doctor, have, have you uh, been exercising? I can tell him every week I move the equivalent of a, of a stone wall. <laughs> and then I move it back. So... I think my mic is hitting my shirt. So, I'm just gonna, this, this might look silly. Okay. Silly's good, this is a new song, Brian says. Okay, so, how's everybody doing? That was wonderful worship. Thank you guys, that was so beautiful. We get to preach from Daniel today, it's one of my favorite books. I'm really glad I got to avoid, like, Leviticus, Numbers. I get all the fun, but I got the story of Joseph. All right, I'm just really favored. I want to tell you this important story. A teenage boy had just passed his driving test, and he asked his dad if he could start using the family car. Never a good idea. Dad said he'd make a deal with his son. You bring your grades up from a C to a B. Study your Bible a little and get your hair cut. Then we'll talk about the car. The boy thought about that, that for a moment and decided he'd settle for the offer, and they agreed on it. After about six weeks, the dad said, Son, you've brought your grades up, and I've observed that you've been studying your Bible. Really proud of you, but a little disappointed, you haven't got your hair cut. The boy said, You know, Dad, I've been thinking about that, and I noticed in my studies of the Bible that Samson had long hair, John the Baptist had long hair, Moses had long hair, and there's even strong evidence that Jesus had long hair. His dad replied, Did you also notice that they walked everywhere they went? <laughs> one more. This, is, this one is even dumber. <laughs> Have you heard about the first baseball game in the Bible? I was talking to Andy about baseball this morning. The first baseball game in the Bible, anybody heard? Yeah. It was in the beginning. Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Cain struck out Abel. Oh, too soon. <laughs> Cain struck out Abel, that's dark. Okay, let's get to the word. So, uh, the book of Daniel opens with the account of how the king of Babylon conquered Jerusalem and carried off into captivity many of the young citizens there, and among them was a young guy by the name of Daniel, probably a teenager, maybe young 20s. Daniel 1.3 says, Then the king instructed one of his guys, Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. So he's looking for the cream of the crop to serve him. 
And so Daniel was chosen. He's, he's one of the prisoners of war. He was treated relatively well by the Babylonians compared to how they usually treated prisoners of war back then. What did they do to prisoners of war back then? They made them slaves. So Daniel had it a little better than some. Uh, however, this was a hardship. This was a difficult time for him to be ripped from your own land and your own family. In Babylon, they spoke a whole different language. He was, he was a captive. He was a military captive. And, um, you know, they probably were made eunuchs. It says the master of the eunuchs of these young men. That's, that's a painful and, and terrible thing to happen to you. If you don't know what a eunuch is, whisper loudly to the person next to you, and they'll explain to you what it is. <laughs> but um, it, was a, it was a hardship. They, it was a trial for Daniel to go through being made a military captive of Babylon. And the one good thing they had going for them was the food. They were allowed to eat, it says, from Nebuchadnezzar's own table. It says the delicacies, the King James, delicacies of Babylon. And even that was a hardship because this food was offered in sacrifice to idols. In Babylon, they would always offer it first to an idol ceremonially, and that made it unclean, and they couldn't eat it. And so it actually became a big problem because if Daniel told the Babylonians, sorry, we're not eating that, the Babylonians could say, yes, you are. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. Uh, there was no freedom or no rights for a prisoner of war. And uh, it was actually by the grace of God, if you read the story, that he was able to convince them to let him just have a diet of vegetables. And it's a miracle that they looked better, they looked healthier than all the other captives after, what was it, a week or ten days of eating nothing but vegetables. I just feel so bad for this guy. I mean, to me, that's the hardest thing of all. <laughs> Everyone else is eating these delicacies, and you just have, oh, broccoli again. <laughs> Lord. Okay, such a sad life. If you think about it. Lost your family. No good food. No language. No freedom. It's easy to miss because Daniel never complains. He never complains. Even David, the great worshiper, every once in a while, Lord, why? You know, you read the Psalms. But uh, Daniel never complains even once. But reading between the lines, this was a time of hardship for a young guy to go through this, right? Okay, I think we've established that. And there was plenty of opportunity for bitterness, to lose his faith in the goodness and love of God. Why would the, why would the God of my father, the loving God of miracles, allow this to happen to me? What did I do? If Daniel had become embittered, I think this negativity would have swallowed up his whole life and blocked God's good plans for him. Verse 17, this is what happened instead. As for these four young men, Daniel and his friends, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 19, then the king interviewed his young captives from all over the empire, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So instead of turning to bitterness, they turned to the Lord, and God was able, because of that, to pour on all sorts of blessing, pour on wisdom, pour on spiritual gifts, interpreting dreams as a spiritual gift, and they found favor, even with the king of Babylon. This is just an aside, as I read about uh, this king surrounding himself with magicians and enchanters. It's easy to think. My first reaction was, you know, in the ancient world, they were so superstitious and backward. Here's the king of the land, 
what is he, surrounded by like wizards and people in weird flowing robes and hats? Just kind of silly. But when you think about it in our own time, if you look at uh, our elected leaders in D.C. and all the things that they're doing, you realize that the more things change, the more they stay the same. We have some silly people in charge of our land as well. And uh, I was just seeing in the news the other day, they passed 10 million of your hard-earned tax dollars to give to study gender in Pakistan. <laughs> that just made me crack up. That's, uh, that's your money. And I think uh, it takes a magician to believe that that helps Americans. However, it is what it is. I need help here. Maybe move it down. Okay. Okay. That was just a little aside. I don't want to get, don't get me started. Don't let me go down that road, okay? All right. So, here we go. When you read chapter 2, though, it's clear that nevertheless, despite the fact that he was impressed with them, they were still nobodies. They were still completely expendable. In chapter 2, in fact, the king orders Daniel and his friends to be executed. And I'll get into that a little bit. Uh, it says in chapter 2, verse 12, when nobody could tell King Nebuchadnezzar his dream, it says... This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So if you're that expendable, just because the king's angry, you're a nobody. This made the king so angry, it says, he ordered them to be put to death. You're a nobody. If, if just because the king on a whim, he's mad, off with your head, I'd hate to be around Nebuchadnezzar if he had a toothache or uh, if he had to wait in line at the DMV, you know, off with their heads. <laughs> However, think about this. What special gift had God given Daniel? The special ability to interpret dreams and visions. Do you think God knows what he's doing when he gives you your spiritual gifts? Do you think maybe he can see into your future and your life and he knows exactly what he's doing when he gives you your spiritual gifts? Maybe little... Yeah, he does. The trick here was that good old King Neb, as I call him, he refused to tell anybody even what the dream was. He not only wanted them to interpret the dream accurately or they die, he had a test. Some people say he couldn't remember the dream. I think he knew the dream, but he wanted them to say what the dream was so he could know that their interpretation was going to be right. Anybody can interpret a dream. Oh, yeah, this means that, and this tree means you, and this mountain over here. You, but, but if you can tell the dream, then, then he knows the interpretation. So his, his enchanters and magicians did not like that at all. But, 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 but your majesty, no, no king has ever asked his officials to tell them the dream first before they interpret it. And, of course, that made King Nebuchadnezzar even more mad. Cut them into pieces. That's not an exaggeration. He said, cut them into pieces. This guy was not joking around. So, knowing his life was on the line, and that of his friends, Daniel prayed. And God answered. Daniel got the dream, the interpretation, the whole nine yards. What a relief he must have felt. So, I'm going to briefly go into this dream, because this is a really great dream, and this is actually one of the reasons you can use to, in apologetics to convince people who are dubious that God is real, because this is a great vindication of God's power. This dream is amazing. It was a statue with a head of gold, a torso of silver, midsection of bronze, and legs of iron. So that's the, that's the dream. There was clay feet. 
And Babylon was gold. These, these, each, each metal represents an empire. And Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar, no doubt to his delight, you are the head of gold. You're at the top. This is the most precious metal. And then the next empire that's coming, he says, is going to be an inferior empire, silver. Like silver is inferior to gold. And then the next one is going to be bronze, less valuable but stronger. And so Persia was silver. But the Greeks came next in history. And they were famous for their bronze statues and their bronze weaponry during the Bronze Age. And he says the last empire will be an empire of iron. And it will be an empire like no other empire. And we all know in history that was vindicated. During the Iron Age, the Roman Empire was an empire like no other empire. When we think of empire, we think of Rome. It was, by most reckonings, the longest empire in history. It lasted a thousand years. And it was the strongest empire of the ancient world. And the best thing to me about this vision is he sees a stone come down and to smash the statue. And it represents the kingdom of God coming and replacing these earthly kingdoms. And he says, during the reign of iron, the Lord is going to set up a heavenly kingdom. And we know in history that that actually happened. Jesus did establish the kingdom of God during the reign of Rome. And while Rome fell, the church grows every day, and it will last forever. I'm just going to read chapter 2, verse 40. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. That's what, that's what Rome did to Greece and Persia, and, and it took over everything. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the Roman kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will itself endure forever. And we know that the kingdom of God is enduring forever and it grows every day. 30,000 new Christians every day in China. The church is growing, my friends, and uh, it's on the move. So, when you look at Daniel prophesying this 450 years before Christ, it's amazing that there are people who say there's no God, because we have in the Bible somebody who was able to prophesy history for the next 500 years accurately. And it's just, it's just amazing. And then, not only the Roman Empire, but the coming of Christ during the Roman Empire, setting up our kingdom, the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? It's a great book. Yeah, I recommend you read that chapter. In fact, read the whole book of Daniel if you haven't read it, because he actually prophesies 483 years of the coming of the Messiah, and that pushes right up to during the life of Christ. Um, so depending on how you figure it, it pushes you right into Christ during his ministry. The three years. So we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, but we know that Daniel basically told you the number of years till the coming of the Messiah. And I was talking to Bob last night, who studies, um, he, he's, he does apologetics, and he says um, that it's very difficult for non-believers to study Daniel and not believe, because it's such an, that's why the world just pushes Daniel aside. They, they don't even want to look at it, because it's such an amazing book. Okay, let's, let's move on. So, what happened with Daniel? It says, our friend the king, good old Nebuchadnezzar, fell at Daniel's feet when he interpreted this vision. It says, he even tried to burn incense to him, which is something you do to a god. And he promoted him to the ruler of Babylon. That's quite a promotion for being a prisoner of war. To being, just like the story of Joseph, from prison to the ruler in one day. And... Uh, I love that. There are so many truths to glean from this story, but the one that stands out to me is how rapidly Daniel went from being a nobody, expendable, a prisoner with a death sentence hanging over his head, to the ruler of the land. And this was for one reason and one reason only. It wasn't because of anything in him. Remember the words of 
Pharaoh to Joseph, or about Joseph. Who, where else can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So it wasn't Daniel, it was the Spirit in him. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says about this. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So it was the Holy Spirit in him. That was his one qualification out of all the, everyone else in the kingdom to make him the ruler of Babylon underneath Nebuchadnezzar. And I love that because what do we have? We have the Holy Spirit. We have an amazing qualification to do great things. In fact, Jesus says, greater is everyone in the kingdom of God than those who came before. Even the greatest prophets, we in the kingdom, because we have the Holy Spirit in a new way, have uh, even greater power. So we need to know who we are. We need to not be looking down on ourselves. So this promotion did come from God. And any time God intervenes on earth, he moves to bring earth into alignment with heaven. In other words, realities already known in heaven become apparent on the earth, where before they were hidden. If you think about it, Daniel in heaven was already highly regarded. He was highly regarded. He was never a nobody. We saw this with the vegetables. His character in refusing the delicacies of Babylon was revealed. It's a small, private victory of faith that set him up for a big promotion later on. And he refused bitterness against God for all his troubles, but kept a grateful heart. And so the Lord was able to give him all the blessing that he wanted to give him. You know, God wants to bless, but sometimes we can be our biggest blocker. It says in 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So he's literally always looking to show himself strong on our behalf. Say this after me. God is always looking for reasons to bless me. God is always looking for reasons to bless me. So Daniel's character and his faith had already won him high regard in heaven, where it counts most. But for a time, he was seen as a nobody. He was seen as expendable on the earth. So there's a disconnect between what heaven is saying and what, uh, how things look on the earth. His fame was hidden on the earth, even though he was honored in front of the throne of God, in front of all the angels of God. Jesus said, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. So you can be little known on earth, but in heaven you can have Jesus honoring you in the throne room of God. Think about that. It's an amazing reality that we have. When Daniel went to bed that night, he was the ruler of Babylon, when he woke up that morning, the morning of that same day, he had just been a prisoner. Now he's the ruler of Babylon in one day. But on the inside, he was still the same person. He hadn't changed inwardly. He was still the amazing man of character that he had always been. So all that had happened is earth had come into alignment with heaven in one day. So we need to realize our place and not be deceived by the standards of this world. Daniel, a prisoner, an expendable nobody, was just as worthy, just as honored, where it counts, as Daniel, the ruler of Babylon. What happens on earth doesn't change his worth. It was already there in heaven. It was already, he was already famous before the throne of God. So earth is sometimes slow to come into alignment with heaven because our world has fallen. 
And not everyone who is faithful, full of faith, not everyone who deserves it, is given a province to rule. Think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was also full of faith. Uh, and he later became known as the great prophet. Everything he said came true, and he, he was honored by future generations. But in his own time, in his own city, they hated him. They said, why are you saying God is going to hand us over to the Babylonians? You're a traitor to our country. You're saying give up. That's treason. They, they saw him as uh, supporting the enemy. In his own day, they hated him. But he just He was a patriot. He loved Judah. He loved Jerusalem. He didn't want Judah to fall. He wrote the book of Lamentations feeling so bad about Judah's fall. But he had to say the message that God gave him. It was a, it was a message that brought him unpopularity. And uh, there were times when Jeremiah didn't want to, to do it. And God had to tell him, don't argue with me. You know, don't pray against what I'm saying. He even had to tell him, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and don't say I'm too young. He, he was full of excuses at first. But he never had honor in his own day. However, the same principle applies. Jeremiah was also honored before the throne room of God because he was faithful. And so just because on the earth it looks like a certain thing, it might look like nobody um, is receiving your message if the world rejects what you're saying. It might look like no one even knows what you're doing. It might look like, it might look like your faithful service is um, not even being noticed. But I want to tell you today that your faithful service can bring glory and honor in the throne room of God where it really counts. And the Lord is praising you in front of the angels of heaven. And you're going to see when you stand before him how uh, the truth is revealed, which is that there's no small service to God. There's no insignificant service to God. And there's nothing that is overlooked. Think of the widow. The widow who gave two pennies. And nobody saw her except for the one person who really mattered. And she has more honor now than all those people like Herod and the chief priest and Pontius Pilate. Unless they repented, I don't know. But if they didn't, then all their worldly power and pomp and wealth came to nothing. But this widow has high honor. Okay, so don't be deceived by the standards of the world, right? Be aware that there's a new reality, a fresh reality of amazing hope for you and amazing victory for you. Okay, as I've said before, and as others have said, if God's main goal for us was to make us happy, he would strike us with lightning right now and take us to heaven. In heaven, you're perfectly happy. If all he wanted to do was make you perfectly happy, he would take you to heaven right now. He does want you to be happy, but he wants so much more. He doesn't want us to enter eternity in anything less than triumph. He wants us to have first overcome, having one eternal fruit so he can shower us with every kind of reward and favor and honor. This is the process he's taking you on right now as you serve faithfully. Serve faithfully, whether hidden or famous. <laughs> I'm tempted to say whether you're a, a Daniel or a Jeremiah, but that might get confusing because here in our church we have a pastor of Jeremiah and a pastor of Daniel and they're both amazing servants of God they're both faithful but whether you're hidden or whether your service is famous right now it's winning for you the reward that God wants to give you and you will be full of great joy when you see what he does through all your trials 
when you see what he does through all the, this process he's taking you on here on earth, where it might be like, God, why, why can't I just be perfectly happy and have everything go perfectly right and be easy and fun right now? And he, he wants to give you perfect happiness, and he wants you to be happy, but he wants more than just happiness. He wants triumph. He wants victory. He wants overcoming. He wants to make you the full um, conqueror that he sees you as. And that's the process that you're on. So we're not going to be deceived. We're not going to fall into the world's trap. Many of us, not many of us, I'm not famous. Many who are famous here and now will be last in the kingdom if they enter at all. Many won't even enter. And many, no one, who, no one has ever heard of them, like that widow. No one saw her. No one gave her a second thought. But she and many here now will have high honor when everything is revealed. Glory awaits the sons and daughters of God. The last chapter of Daniel says, You will shine like the stars of heaven. Glory awaits the sons and daughters of God beyond our ability to imagine. You can't imagine what's coming. But in the here and now, we do still go through trials. And we see in Daniel a recurring situation where compromising with the world looked like the only choice he and his friends could make reasonably. Why not just eat the, the, the food of Babylon? You can't just survive on vegetables, can you? I don't think you can. I wouldn't want to. But we, we have all heard this line of temptation in our heads. I have no other choice. It's okay. God understands in this particular circumstance for me. It's okay. If he really wanted me to follow the law of Moses, he, um, he wouldn't have let me be taken captive by, by, by Nebuchadnezzar. What would have happened if they had accepted that line of thought? I think God would have forgiven God forgave David for much worse. But I doubt very much if any of us would ever have heard of them. The miraculous victories they experienced later on. The golden statue where they were thrown in the fiery furnace. The lion's den. Interpreting those dreams. Those great victories of faith came only after this small victory of faith. This hidden victory where they chose to do the right thing when no one was really looking and when they had every excuse to disobey. So big miracles in the Bible are always preceded by small acts of faith and obedience. Before Moses was positioned to part the Red Sea, he first had to obey when he really didn't want to go to Egypt to confront Pharaoh. Lord, send someone else. I stutter. I can't go. He had to obey in that small thing when no one was watching, just God and him in front of the burning bush, before he could be positioned to part the Red Sea in front of the whole world. David was famous in his time. He slew a nine-foot giant. But before that, he was a worshiper when no one was watching but the sheep. And you know, the enemy is always trying to stop you from worshiping. So when you press into worship, that's a victory. That's faith. And he pressed in when no one was watching but the sheep. And he became close to God, a man after God's own heart. And then he was positioned to win those big victories in front of everybody. Whenever I hear a story of an awesome miracle, I know somewhere in the person's past, there was a small decision, perhaps only known between them and God, to choose faith. Here's one of my favorite stories. This is a quote. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there was no food for them to eat. This is a house mother of the orphanage 
and she informed that to George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children, as he always did. Who was this guy? You can read about George Mueller and God's generals. He was one of the great missionaries and evangelists of the 19th century. A great man of faith. And this is a famous story. So here they are, 300 hungry orphans and no food. So Mueller says, okay, have them sit down. Have them wait. We're going to say a prayer, and we're going to believe God will provide. So he prays, Lord, thank you for this food that we're about to receive. There's no food on the table. And they wait. Tick, tick, tick. The seconds pass by. People are looking around. Is this guy crazy? They hear a knock on the door. It's the baker. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon after that, another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. I always imagined that the milkman heard from the Lord, give them some milk, and he didn't do it. So then the cart broke. That's just my... God's going to get his way one way or another. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George says, of course. And they brought in 10 large cans, which is just enough for the 300 thirsty children. So as I read this story, this is a, a well-known story, one of my favorite sermon illustrations. What I, what I ask myself is, where was the initial act of faith? Where was the small act in his life when no one was looking that would lead to this public and famous act of faith? And so I thought to myself, where is it? I'm going to look for it because I know it's going to be there. I hadn't studied his life. So I, just this last week, I started studying George Mueller's life. I want to find where it began. And so I looked this up. He, he had a life like everybody else. He, as a young boy, he often stole money from his dad. As a teenager, he sneaked out of a hotel twice without paying for the room. Uh, he ended up in jail. As a college student, George loved going to bars, drinking, gambling, being the life of the party. That's not wrong. Why is that in there? Anyway, he... <laughs> also love making fun of people, especially Christians. So one day his friend invited him to a Bible study, and he went. Guess why he went? He wanted to make fun of them. That's why he went. And it says, to his surprise, he liked it. For the first time, he saw people who really loved each other and loved God. He attended for the, every evening that week, and by the end of the week, he asked God to forgive his sins. He lost his friends. They liked the guy that wanted to gamble and uh, make fun of Christians and hang out at the bars. All he wanted to do was talk about God and the Bible. He lost all his, his old crowd. And uh, his dad rejected him. His dad got real ticked off when he said, I want to be a missionary. His dad was paying for his college. His dad was like, what? You're not going to be a poor missionary. I wanted you to make some money. And so his dad said, I will not support your college if you're going to be a missionary. Back then, to be a missionary, you had to go to Bible school. So George went to college even though he had no money, and he said, I know God wants me to do this. He returned, and he said, God's going to pay for it. And within an hour of going back, there was a knock on his room, his little room door. A professor was there and offered him a paid tutoring position that would cover his college. And so I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, here it is. This is the first moment where he did something that made no sense by the world standards. He went back to school when he had no money, by faith, because it was God's will, 
And there you see the Lord provided. And this set him up for later when he would be the type of guy who would say, sit down and we're going to pray, we're going to eat because God's going to provide. The small obedience in his past led to the famous big miracle later on. So just like Daniel, Daniel, George Mueller, and me and you, we are called to radical faith in the small things, even when no one but God is looking, especially when no one but God is looking. And God has promised us, the one who is faithful with a little, God will give him or her much. What time is it? I need to wrap this up. I'm going to just I'm just going to pray for us that we're going to be the people of faith. You know God has an amazing plan to lead you into these sorts of big miracles and he has an amazing plan to uh, do an amazing work in you that will change the world like Daniel. And he wants us to be faithful in these small things. He wants us to be full of faith and obedient in these small things so that he can give us much. And so we want that, right? Okay, so let's pray. Be in a receptive mode to listen to the wor a, a word of knowledge for you from the Holy Spirit right now because he has a personal plan for you. Please. Lord, we declare that each one of us will be like Daniel, will be like George Mueller. We're going to be faithful in these small things. We're going to be faithful when we hear your voice, when no one is watching. We're going to prioritize you over the world, over compromise. And we're going to walk in an awareness that you're bringing us from glory to glory. That doesn't matter if things look unknown, small, hidden right now, that you and your angels of heaven are watching and you are making us famous before the throne of God as we obey you. These small victories are leading to big victories and they're leading to uh, an amazing future in you. You're making us conquerors. You're making us victorious. And so I speak over each person here as they listen to a word of knowledge from you right now. You are going to prioritize God above all. You are going to choose God above all. You are going to be a man and woman or woman of faith that he's called you to be. You already are, but he's calling you to more. In Jesus' name. And you're going to see the results in your life this week. Amen. Thank you, David. And thank you, God. Clear invitation to a life of faith or inspiring, good, good spiritual food, good blessing. May God continue to refresh you as you go. Thanks for coming today. And uh, may he continue to refresh and bless you and your family.